This program is a part of the Full Press Radio Network. Find this and all of Full Press Coverage's shows on fullpressradio.com or free on the Full Press Coverage app, available now on the Apple and Google Play stores. Hey, this is John Lynch, 49ers GM and Pro Football Hall of Famer, and you're listening to Ira and Clark on the iTest 4-2. Welcome to the first I Test for Two podcast of March. I'm Clark Judge. I'm Ira Kaufman. And today we're joined, as always, by our Hall of Fame producer, Ian Glendon, and by special guest, Ira Miller, who's a longtime friend of both of ours, former Hall of Fame voter, and is a McCann Award winner, which Ira Kaufman, as you know, means you can find Ira Miller's name on the walls of Canton. So, Ira, quick question here. Does having Ira Miller here with you and Ian make this the eye test for three? Well, it only gets confusing when we're with Ira Burke out of the New York Times. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I was just wondering. Uh, Anyway, uh, you know how they say March comes in like a uh, lion, goes out like a lamb? It's March, what, second today? And um, it's 50 mile an hour winds here in Connecticut. And it was zero degree wind chill. So Ira Kaufman and Ian Glendon, I know you're in the Tampa area. You want to give us a weather report? Well, uh, I'm on my patio and uh, to my <laughs> left, uh, the pool pump is uh, working overtime, uh, recirculating. I think I'll clean the pool today, uh, Clark, because uh, who knows? I might be diving in within a couple of weeks. It's uh, nice here. and balmy. You can come up here and skate on the pool, Ira. <laughs> How about you, Ian? You're, you're over in St. Petersburg. Yeah, I actually got to change my uh, central air conditioning filter to uh, make it work a little bit better because it, it is a little warm in here today. <laughs> well, that makes Ira Miller and me feel real comfortable. Ira Miller, by the way, is in Chicago. And before we get to him, I, I want to quickly take a lap, guys, around the league for at least one moment. I'd like your thoughts on a handful of items. Now, let's start first with what happened yesterday. Ira Kaufman uh, on Monday, J.J. Watt signed a two-year deal with the Arizona Cardinals. Okay. Fine. But I thought he wanted to go somewhere where he could win a ring. So what do you make of this? Is he chasing the ring or chasing the money? Clark, this reminds me of something that Ira Miller told me when I was a wee wee child in this business. When free agency came around, Ira Miller looked at me and said, follow the money, Kaufman, follow the money. And as usual, Ira Miller was correct. Uh, Clark, a lot of people talk and mention a lot of things about chasing rings, but agents are involved, Clark. And when agents are involved, it ends up usually being the most lucrative financial deal for the client. That was the case with J.J. Watt. He's not any different than most of them. Yeah, especially the guaranteed money. I think it was something like $23 million. Okay, secondly, so our report today, Hall of Fame linebacker Jack Lambert of the Pittsburgh Steelers, the Steel Curtain Steelers, uh, apparently is auctioning off personal items, including plastic container that held his false teeth (laughs) now the teeth holder has 58 written in black on one side and it has an opening bid of three hundred dollars so ira kaufman what's your bid uh i i i bid two no trump two no trump uh 
you know, this stuff's getting crazy, Clark. I, I could see Jim Mersey moving in with a $3,000 bid. You know, he loves to collect <laughs> these things. And Clark, if Bob Dylan and Bruce Springsteen can do commercials for Jeep or whatever, then Jack Lambert can sell off his, uh, his false teeth. Uh, it doesn't surprise me, Clark. Yeah, you're right about that. Now, if Jack Lambert played a guitar, Jim Mersey then might move in with $3,000. I don't know if you've ever seen his <laughs> office, but it's littered with rock and roll memorabilia. Uh, and it's pretty cool. Uh, lastly, Drew Brees. He's supposed to retire, right? We all think he's going to retire as trainer last week, I guess. Uh, maybe it was earlier this week, but last week, I think it was, posted a video showing an intense workout somewhere in, in the West Coast, I assume at San Diego. Um, and it was in his driveway, pushing weights up and down the driveway. And his trainer suggested something must be brewing. So Ira Kaufman, what's brewing? It's starting to look like he, he might be having second thoughts. But, you know, Clark uh, and, and who's in the bullseye? Jameis Winston, who, 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 you know, can't catch a break right now, uh, sat almost the entire season, 2020. Supposed to be the heir apparent. This is his time to resurrect his career, Clark. And now the guy might not retire. Clark, the one thing about Drew Brees, which I think he should avoid uh, above all, is coming back with another team. Yeah. Coming back with, I don't think that would work whatsoever. Uh, him and Sean Payton uh, have been a fabulous tandem. And I just don't think, unlike Brady, I don't think it would work for Breeze anywhere else but New Orleans. I just yeah, no, I agree with you. And I still think he's going to retire, but uh, that's just me, yeah. maybe. Okay, let's get on to Ira Miller. And I was going to introduce him. I worked opposite him in San Francisco covering the 49ers. But Ira Kaufman actually worked more closely with him decades earlier so ira for the second week in a row you're doing the intro buddy you know this is a very very special guest for me clark and i do go back with ira miller the only two iras you've ever heard of clark uh, are, are the two guys in this profession and ira burkout that's three but clark this takes me back to a very special day uh, in my career <laughs> sep sep september 20th 1976 clark that's right, Ian, 1976, when I reported to work UPI, New York, as a sports clerk, making 150 bucks a week, and I got off on the 12th floor of the Daily News building, 42nd Street and 3rd Avenue. Yes, the one with the globe from the Superman movies. That was the building. And I walk in, and sitting, running the desk that night was Mr. Ira Miller, and next to Ira Miller was Rick Goslin. And next to Rick Goslin was Bill Madden, who went on to have a Hall of Fame career covering the Yankees. He just wrote the book on Tom Seaver. I mean, that was my first exposure to this business. Uh, when we have more time, I'll tell you the story about how Ira Miller spent 11 seconds trying to teach me how to put a new roll of paper in for UPI. <laughs> And then, and then an hour later, another roll went, and I had to go over to Miller and say, uh, Mr. Miller, Mr. Miller, uh, uh, another paper <laughs> is jammed, and I need your help. And he looked at me and said, I just explained it to you 30 minutes ago, kid. How are you going to make it in this business? You can't change a roll of paper. So all these years later, and of course, you know, Ira went on to cover, uh, you know, some great teams for the NFL and you know, won the McCann Award, as you mentioned. Um, so it is my great pleasure 
uh, to introduce Ira Miller. Thanks so much for doing this, uh, big guy. My pleasure. Isn't it great we don't use paper anymore? <laughs> you know, Clark, um, Ira made his bones uh, out on the West Coast. You know, he probably left about a year or two after I met him. I think by 78, 77, he was gone uh, and out to the West Coast, uh, covered the Raiders, covered the Niners. Um, Ira, I've been doing a little bit of reading about you and uh, Bill Walsh. You know, you, you had a tight relationship with Walsh. You covered the man. Uh, but Ira, the thing that struck me, and I got to meet him a little bit because John Gruden brought him out here after he was retired, saying about 06, he came out to a buck training camp. I got to spend about 20 minutes alone with Walsh. Ira, I'll never forget the one bit of advice he gave me was, as you got to get rid of a guy a year early than a year too late. I, I still remember him telling me that, but Ira, the insecurity, I'm fascinated by the insecurity of Bill Walsh, even after he had won a Super Bowl. Uh, Ira, how, how do you explain that kind of an insecurity from a, a guy of that stature? It was basically something that followed him his whole career. Uh, he was insecure because it took him so long to get a head coaching job because he thought he was promised jobs in, in Cincinnati because he expected to be the head coach in Houston. And he kept getting passed over. Uh, Paul Brown said that he wasn't tough enough. Uh, and I think that that insecurity followed him his whole career. Even, even when he got to the top, he was, he was still never felt comfortable. And Ira, what was your relationship like with Walsh in terms of, uh, was he thin-skinned? I know you didn't hold anything back, Ira, but at the end, um, you know, his retirement, he, he came up to you of all people and threw his arm around you and said, it's been a great 10 years. Uh, what a moment that was for you. Yeah, at the end, it was, at the end, we became quite close. We played, we played a lot of golf together after he retired. Uh but when he was coaching, uh, it was a very much an up and down thing. Uh, I'll never forget they won a, a Monday or a weekend game. I can't remember what day of the week. Anyway, it was at Minnesota after they had lost the season opener at home to the Eagles. And the writers were all gathered around him. And he immediately he opened his post-game session with, you know, some people said we couldn't win some people said we couldn't he loved the phrase some people when he was looking directly at me i know that feeling yeah and ira uh one one one, one more quick thing before i turn it over to clark um ira the the montana young um you know dynamic uh was fascinating from so many aspects uh ira i, I don't know who thought that Montana was going to be some kind of a great mentor towards Steve Young and, and show him the ropes. And Ira, as the years went on, that, that, that wasn't going to happen in San Francisco. No, Mon you know, actually Walsh might have seen a little of himself in Montana because even after Montana won a couple of MVPs and a couple of Super Bowls, there was a certain insecurity there. And he thought Bill was trying to get rid of him which he thought correctly, Bill was trying to trade him. And, and that fueled, you know, it's, it's amazing. You, you talk about Drew Brees maybe going on and other guys. 
insecurity drives an awful lot of these athletes. And, and Montana felt insecure and Steve Young, and he also felt that Young's relationship with Mike Holmgren, who we knew from BYU, uh, somehow was trying to undercut him with Walsh. And you know, not, not, unsur- not unreasonably, since Walsh was actually trying to trade Montana to San Diego at that point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's funny. I was speaking with Ira Miller, the former Hall of Fame voter and McCann winner. And Ira, it's funny you mentioned that because I was covering the Chargers. And I'll never forget, there was an owner's meeting in Phoenix, and I'm going to guess 88, 89, somewhere in there. And it's a Sunday when we all go in, and we all go in, and, and you might see a coach or a general manager walking the halls. And this was at the Arizona Biltmore. And sure enough, Bill Walsh comes out of the door as I'm walking in. I said, oh, excuse me, Bill? Yeah, I, Clark Judge from the Evening Tribune in San Diego. Um, any truth to the story about Joe Montana and the Chargers? And he opens up. Yeah, absolutely. He starts talking about, sure, yeah. And I, I couldn't believe what I was hearing. So I'm writing all this stuff down and got a great story. But you're right. Uh, he wasn't camouflaging that at all. It looked like he was trying to pedal it. Yeah, the late, the uh, late great offensive line coach, Bob McKittrick, tells a story of Walsh coming in a staff meeting at, oh, let's say 10 o'clock, sometime mid-morning, and that he wanted to trade Montana to San Diego. And, and going around the room and asking every one of his assistant coaches what they thought of the trade. It was going to be for Billy Ray Smith. And, and they all said, essentially, Bill, you're nuts. And he stormed out of the room, came back several hours later, maybe three o'clock mid-afternoon, the same, the same thing. Again, we want to trade. Uh, no, no, no. And, that's what happened. He, he was he was ready to move. Ira, do you have a favorite Bill Walsh story? Do you have a, an anecdote about him that you like telling, or one that is your favorite when you think of Bill Walsh? Oh God, I'd have you know I, I probably do, but I'd have to think about it. I mean, you know, there was just that time, as I say, that time in Minnesota when he looked around the room, looked well, looked straight at me. Some people said we couldn't win. Uh, <laughs> It, it was always like, but he used that phrase, some people, probably more than anything else. <laughs> you know, uh, Clark, and you know this, Clark, uh, individually, that Ira Miller, the longtime Hall of Fame voter, Clark, we still bring his name up in this regard. Uh, when we're trying to define a Hall of Famer, and Ira, you're the guy that coined the phrase, and, and, and I want to know how you came up with it, but... Can you tell the history of this league, the 100-year history of this league, without this player? And if the answer was you could, then the guy was a very marginal Hall of Famer. Ira, how, how did you come up with that definition? And, uh, I, and Ira, by that token, could I make an argument for a Doug Williams in, in that regard? Uh, well, that's two questions. I, would, I don't know how I came up with it anymore. It was just something that struck me uh, back when I was younger, which was before yesterday. I've been younger <laughs> for a long time. Uh, that, that what we were discussing was the history of the game. I mean, you know, that was always drilled into you at Hall of Fame meetings. We're talking history here. And to me, that's what separates the great from the ordinary or the superstar from the great. You know, Whatever, however many layers of greatness you want, 
can you write the history? In other words, was this guy existential to the history of professional football? Was he that important? Was he somebody everybody should know about? Uh, and if he was, then you don't need to discuss him. Uh, there are very few, there are very few players in that category, which is why I'm somewhat bothered by seeing the rush in recent years to put first ballot players in the Hall of Fame. I, I just, you know, Joe Montana was a first ballot, Barry Sanders, Lawrence Taylor, guys on that level. There aren't very many of them. And yet in the last few years, I would say what, half, maybe more than half the, the players being voted into the Hall of Fame or in their first year of eligibility. Uh, no, I just think that's a special category. It, it's it actually, last four years, it is half. 10 of the last yeah. 20 modern era candidates have been first ballot choices. Yeah, and there, and how many of them are in that, in that level? Montana, Sanders, Lawrence, there, there aren't, I mean, you're talking about, you don't need a big room for those guys. And I just I, think there's been too much of a rush to anoint players. Ira, you have been called up. You have been called a curmudgeon, Mr. Miller, uh, by your friends, uh, perhaps by Mr. Walsh. So, Ira, in that regard, and I know the answer to this. The answer has to be yes. Uh, Ira, in your career, which spans five decades, if not more, um, <laughs> what is the closest you ever came, Ira? And I know you're the type of guy, if you write something about a guy that isn't flowery, you show up the next day in that locker room, Ira. I, I know that about you. Uh, you're not going to go a week and try to avoid the guy. So, Ira, what, what's the closest you ever came with a player or a coach to a confrontation with that person? Well, I'm thinking probably it was Lester Hayes when he was a cornerback for the Raiders in the late 70s. They played a game against Minnesota. Uh, the Raiders were ahead with the last couple of minutes to go. And the Vikings, on every play on their last drive, with four or five plays in a row, threw in the direction of Lester Hayes, knowing something would happen. And eventually, they got a pass interference call, scored the winning touchdown. Uh, and in writing about it the next day, I referred to Lester Hayes as the weak link in the Raiders' secondary. So I'm in the office a day or two later, and the phone rings. And you have to understand, in, the, in those days, Lester had a very bad stutter. And, and he starts talking, you know, no, and, and I cut out the stutter because that's really not nice. But he, what he said was, you know, back where I come from in Texas, people do that, we kill them. And, and I, and I, and I, you know, and I, I didn't think that was really a good solution. Uh, John Madden was the coach of the Raiders at the time. I, I went to him, I guess it was Wednesday when we're back at practice and mentioned this to him. And he said, I'll talk to Lester. Uh, and, and that was the last problem I had with him. And oh, sometime later when Lester became a, a terrific player, uh, I can't remember the circumstances in the game, but I know he did some really good things. And I didn't write about it at all. And I didn't talk to him. And he came up to me the next day and said, well, why, why didn't you talk to me about that? And I said, Lester, because the last time I tried to talk to you, you threatened to kill me. And he said, oh, no, no, it's okay now. Because by then, you know, he wanted to become an all-pro, play in the Pro Bowl, all those things. He wanted recognition. 
And, and after that, we got along fine. I remember that because Bill Wall said, some people think Lester Hayes is the weak link in this Raiders secondary. Yeah. No, Bill, <laughs> love that phrase, some people. Well, we're speaking with Ira Miller, who's our first guest to use the word existential on this broadcast. <laughs> and uh, Ira, you were a member of the Hall of Fame's Board of Selectors Senior Committee. So as a member, and Ira Kaufman is still a member, who would you put up next as your senior candidate if you were on the board? Oh, God, I, I don't even have, I'd have to, I would. Well, I will tell you this, Eddie DeBartolo was on this broadcast a couple of weeks ago. He mentioned Roger Craig. We had John Turney, pro football uh, historian, mention Randy Gratishar. We've had people mention Ken Riley because he was the runner-up last year to Drew Pearson. We have people mention Ken Anderson, uh, Chuck Holley's in the mix, Ken Wistert, as you know, uh, yeah. Offensive lineman for the Eagles. You go on and on, but those are just several. Uh, Cl and Cliff Branch, Clark. And, Cl and, and Cliff, Cliff Branch. Branch. Oh, I'm sorry, Cliff Branch, yeah. Who's on the Raider team that you covered? And, and there's something about you in Minnesota, Ira. Yeah. Every time there's something with Minnesota, it seems like someone's upset. Walsh, Hayes, <laughs> Minnesota. <laughs> didn't, didn't Cliff Branch get in? No, he did no. not. Oh, that's right. It was uh, Drew Pearson. Yeah. And, and Harold Carmichael got in. Yeah. Harold yeah. Carmichael. Yeah. Uh, boy, that, that's a good list. Uh, I'd want, I'd, much as I think Roger Craig I covered, it deserves to be in. I'd probably go back further because I believe in chronological order of getting guys in. That's been one of the problems. And it might be Cliff Branch. I don't, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but he had a great yards, yards per catch average. Right. Uh, yeah. And he played big in big games. Um, and I'm, you know, I, I can't, I don't have the numbers in front of me right now to, to compare him with Drew Pearson, but I think he's, he's a guy he's been overlooked because there's a sentiment or there used to be, I haven't, wasn't there this year, but I know in some past years, there was a sentiment. How many Raiders are we going to put in? We put in too many Raiders. <laughs> well, hell, they were, you know, they were a dynamic team for a number of years. And, and they had great players, and he was certainly one of them. Yeah, that sentiment's uh, still there. That sentiment's still there, actually. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. that might have hurt Donnie Shell, you know, with the Steelers, too, Ira. Same kind of thinking. How many guys off the uh, steel curtain are you going to put in? Yeah, well, you know, there's, there's kind of a reason these great teams are great. I mean, somebody might think about that. If you're a great team, you probably have great players. That, that usually goes hand in hand. Uh, Clark, um, let's ask Ira about George Seifert. You keep, uh, you keep bringing up George Seifert's name, Clark, and, and rightfully so. Um, you know, Ira, we just had Tom Flores go in, uh, you know, primarily on the basis of two Super Bowls. And Ira, his stint in Seattle – uh, to put it mildly, was unsuccessful. Uh, so now I think Clark's raising the specter of, uh, hey, can we at least consider George Seifert? Or, Ira, in your opinion, did he just uh, inherit a good situation from Walsh? Yeah, no, and Ira, Mil Ira Miller, I want to cut you. I want to cut you off just for a second. The reason I mentioned that, and Ira Kaufman knows this, I wrote about it on the talkoffamenetwork.com website today. The reason I said that is because what's the rap against Seifert? He inherited Walsh's players, right? Well, 1994, he didn't. Of those 22 starters, 18 weren't there the previous Super Bowl. And then you look at Tom Flores and look at his 1983 team that won its second Super Bowl. He had, of those starters, 12 were holdovers from the team 
that won the previous Super Bowl with him, including the punter and the kicker and the punter and the kicker for San Francisco were different. So all I'm saying, not to denigrate Tom Flores, Ira Miller, uh, but not to denigrate him, but because Flores gets in, why can we say that, okay, it's okay to, to, to say that, you know, the second chapter of Tom Flores' career, which wasn't, as Ira Kaufman said, particularly successful, we're not going to hold that against him. But we're going to hold it against George Seifert? Wait a second. No. I mean, we, we can't. And I realize Tom Flores was a social pioneer. I understand that. And he should be in. But you, you're judged primarily on what happens on the field. And what happens on the field with George Seifert was he was a successful, eminently successful head coach to the point where his winning percentage, it's better than all but four other uh, top 20 of most of the most successful head coaches in the NFL. Three of those guys in the Hall of Fame. And the fourth is Bill Belichick. And it's also Ira Miller. It's better than Bill Walsh's. Uh, I, yeah, Clark, I just, by coincidence, I read that column earlier today and you put some things in there that I hadn't even thought about. But yeah, I mean, George, George Seifert, I mean, the rap on him is he won with Bill Walsh's players. He did this, he did that. The 94 team was totally made over, including, let, let's not forget, he made one of the biggest decisions in the history of the 49ers franchise by getting rid of Joe Montana and putting Steve Young in as a starting quarterback. Yeah. Uh, and 94 was entirely his team. He had the great winning percentage. He won two Super Bowls. And while he did not have a good record in Carolina, let's not sugarcoat it, he had a bad record. Yeah, bad but, record. The, but the players that he left behind, more than half of them started for the Super Bowl team uh, in 2003 with the Panthers that John Fox coached. He never gets any credit for his what he did with personnel, but he left behind the foundation of a Super Bowl team. And, and Aaron Miller, you can address this because I ran this past John Turney, who we reference on here all the time. He's a frequent guest, and you know him, uh, Ira, yeah. um, historian, and works for Pro Football Journal. But John Turney said he never gets credit, and I'm talking about George Seifert, for being an innovator because of what he did with nickel linebackers, replacing them with defensive backs. And he talked about that 84 Super Bowl when they destroyed Miami and how important that was to sort of the development of defenses going forth. You could address that because you covered that team. Yeah, he did did that. He had uh, all those defensive linemen that that he used against Marino um, and the defense he's put together later. Uh, The fact that he let his coaches coach with, with Mike Holmgren came in as the offensive coordinator, and I believe that is still the most lopsided Super Bowl game. It is. Uh, that 55-10 job against Denver and Elway. Uh, people just, for some reason, and I guess it's human nature, well, it was like Bill Walsh's fumes were running the team. Well, they weren't. I mean, you point out that Tom Flores won with Jim Plunkett as the quarterback in his two Super Bowls. Uh, well, Seifert won with different quarterbacks. Uh, yeah, he, he just, he certainly should be in the conversation uh, as a coach. It's very hard to keep a dynasty going. Uh, you know, we saw what happened when Bill Parcells left the Giants. We've seen it in, in other places. You don't, you just don't keep rolling. I mean, it's a whole new thing. Uh, and we saw it in Dallas when Jimmy left. Right, Ira? It's another yeah. example. Um, Jimmy. You know, Ira, I'm uh, curious about um, 
your feelings about today's game, Ira. You know, you, you, you've watched the evolution of football. It's better in some ways. Uh, maybe not better. Sure, in some I'm not Amos Alonzo stag. I haven't been there that many. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, look, uh, the lack of physicality, uh, receivers putting up these huge numbers, the, the rule changes. And, and Ira, the, the, the emergence of officiating as like the story a lot of times on Monday mornings after an NFL schedule. Uh, wh- what do you think the state of the game is, Ira? Oh, I think the state of the game is fine because of competitiveness. I mean, there's so many close games that go down to the end. The teams are so well balanced. It doesn't, I mean, it doesn't take much. Uh, Tampa Bay brings in a Tom Brady and turns the league upside down. I think the, the league is in, is in a good position. And the problem, the, the problem they've got, and I don't know how you solve it, is the officiating t- can tip so much. And there's such a fine line between a 50-yard pass interference penalty and an incomplete pass. And it, it, it's hard to get 100 and however many officials there are in the league all in the same mo- frame of mind on what constitutes pass interference, how they're looking at it, what they see. It's just, I mean, it's, it's basically, it's Pete Rosell's dream on any given Sunday because any little thing can, can swing a game in a season. Yeah, talk to Mike Pereira about that. As you know, Ira, yeah. he's been legis- or lobbying for years about making that more like the college rule because he feels it's, it's grossly unfair. Um, Ira asked you about, Ira Kaufman asked, Ira Miller, <laughs> getting confused <laughs> here, <laughs> asked you about um, the state of the game. I want to ask you a quick question about the state of the hall. I'm talking to the Pro- Football Hall of Fame in Canton. If you were in charge of the hall for a day, what changes would you make to the process? I, I would, one thing I would do is make it more like the baseball voting where you don't do this reduction from 20 to 10 to five to whatever. You have a ballot, however many people there are, however many voters there are. If you get 75% or 80% or whatever number you want, you're in the hall of fame. I just, I just think there's, there's too much worry about, well, we've got to have an X number of people for our parade. We've got to do this. We've got to do that. I, I, you know, it used to be the Hall of Fame people would laugh at the way baseball did it and, and tell you, well, no, it's our way is better. And there, there is an argument, for instance, among offensive linemen that they might have a harder time getting in that way. But then you ask Tony Baselli, he'll tell you it's hard this way. Yeah, exactly. uh, I, I just think that they need, you know, not to have these artificial limits. If you get 80% or 75%, whatever it is, uh, you're in. And there should be more people voting. I just, I just think it's wrong that they limit, I think it's what, 48 on the committee? Yes. I mean, the number of people covering professional football. Uh, in baseball, if you've been a member of the baseball writers for 10 years, you have a vote. And I think the NFL ought to go to a system, something like that, where more people vote. More people are eligible uh, to get in, and and, and, last, and and lastly, how would you try to level the playing field? And I use that word liberally because you can't level it. But how would you try to at least level the playing field for the seniors? Oh boy, I think I think that, you know, as, as Rick Goslin has pointed out repeatedly, there's just such a huge huge backlog. Uh, I know they 
they've got some coming in in the centennial class, but I, I don't think they went back far enough. Very few of them, you know, most of the seniors are young seniors that got in under this process. And I, I just think, you know, whatever committee, I mean, they, they keep changing the rules. Now you have a committee for coaches, the committee for seniors, a committee for this. I think they need to have a special committee, uh, maybe like they had when they started the Hall of Fame in 63, and go back over the history of the game and say these guys were important. These guys should be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, and I thought that's what the Centennial Committee was supposed to do, but it, but it didn't. Uh, last one for me, uh, Clark and uh, Ira. Thanks so much for giving us uh, your time. Um, yeah, well, I couldn't play golf today because there's still <laughs> snow on the ground. <laughs> Ira, you work you worked at the San Francisco Chronicle for three decades, and um, you, you 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 love newspapers, you love the whole business. And Ira, how much that's changed now? I'm down here. The Tribune is gone. Uh, the St. Petersburg Times. Ira prints two days a week. Two days a week, print edition. And, you know, so many papers have gone by the wayside. Ira, what advice would you give a, a, a young guy in grad school that's thinking about getting into print journalism, sports writing? Well, I think if you really want to do it, you should go ahead and try it. If you're just getting out of school, you, you're young enough to do something else if that doesn't work. But, I'm, you know, you don't want to look back 40 years later and say, damn, I wish I would have tried that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it's, don't expect, don't expect at age 23 to be covering the World Series and the Super Bowl. That's one of the problems today. All these ki young kids think they should immediately skyrocket to the top. And by the way, you mentioned the, the St. Pete Times. You, you do know that I almost went to work for them once. Yeah, I was worried about that. I, I didn't want to, I didn't want any part of you on the Buckbeak. <laughs> Ira Miller, always good to catch up with you. Thanks so much. This has been great. And, and My trust pleasure, me, guys. And, and trust me, Ira Kaufman would vouch for this, too. You and Vito Stellina missed greatly on the Hall of Fame. Yes. Well, I appreciate yeah. that. I was sort of hoping to make L.A. my last Super Bowl, but. Yeah, we could we could still get you out there, Ira. You know, uh, Ira Kaufman's making the big bucks down in Tampa. I think he could get you there, right? <laughs> I could. Uh, you could sleep in my bathtub, Miller. <laughs> <laughs> that's a little too wet yeah, that's a little too all right thanks so much okay take care guys be good you got it that was from our hall of fame voter ira miller and ira kaufman any final thoughts here you know clark i'm gonna throw this out at you i, I wrote about this the other day as you have been writing the other day uh, about george seifert clark i came up with a list of teams nfl teams 32 teams that are happy with their quarterback situation I came up with 12, 12, and that might be stretching it, Clark. And I certainly didn't count Seattle and Houston, even though they've got outstanding quarterbacks, but yeah. they're not happy with their situation. Clark, this offseason quarterback shuffle, it really could be unprecedented, Clark. Yeah, no, that's right. That's right. And, and as a matter of fact, since you mentioned Seattle, I forgot to ask you at the opening, but Russell Wilson's agent apparently went public and said that, well, Russell Wilson would waive his no-trade clause for four teams, the, the Raiders, the Cowboys, the Saints, and the Bears? <laughs> Why would you want to go to the Bears if you're a quarterback? Clark, I think there's a lot of mixed messages coming out of Wilson's camp in terms of, well, he's getting hit too much. He, yeah. You know, what's and Clark, some of those teams, 
their offensive lines aren't any better than Seattle's. I don't understand. Yeah, I don't understand either. Uh, I have also one other final thought, and that's we'd like to hear from you. Yeah, you out there, we'd like to hear from you. And Ian, would you please tell people where they can get in touch with us? That's right. It's at, at the eye test for two. That's all letters, no numbers. There you go. Well, that's going to do it for today. But we'll be back tomorrow with a member of the Hall of Fame's class of 2021. Any idea who it is? <laughs> well, this just in. You're going to have to tune in to the eye test for two to find out. We'll see you then. Thanks for listening. <laughs>